pray. Father in heaven, we thank you again that you are alive. Thank you for the evidence that you have given us all around us to show us your glory, show us your creation, show us what you have made to honor and glorify you. Bless Melody leads out this morning, giving words to speak, help our hearts to be open and attentive that we can learn from what you would have for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. I'd like to greet you in Jesus' name and welcome you to this part of the service. It's good to be here again this morning. Beautiful winter morning. The, uh, it is winter, snow keeps piling up, but the sun's shining. It makes it uh, a really bright and sunny day outside. So grateful for that. This morning, uh, I'd like to look at um, God in sort of a different way. I've entitled the message, The Great I Am, I Change Not. <clears throat> Recently, there was a friend of mine who told me about a, an elderly gentleman that he knew that lived to be 100 years old. And this gentleman was very diligent with journaling. For years, he had done a daily journal. And after he passed, of course, these journals were sort of sought after by the family, and his friend got the, the journal with the entry of his 100th birthday. And in that entry, along with some other things, there was, he wrote two things in his lifetime that have not changed. Human nature and God's grace. And I was, I was blessed when I heard that. Not, not surprised at human nature, but certainly God's grace. A hundred-year-old man could testify to that. And so I'd like to look at that today. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on human nature, but would like to look at God's, um, his attributes and some things that have not and will not change. Um, just one brief comment about human nature, Jeremiah 17, 9. It says, the heart is deceitful, meaning the human heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I think this man would have seen that in his hundred years. Human nature is still what it was since the fall. But I'm not going to dwell on that. I want to continue with uh, looking more into the great I am, I change not, and focusing more on <clears throat> the part I change not. But I'd like to, for a text, turn to Exodus 3 for that setting when God introduces him in that way uh, to, to Moses, Exodus chapter 3, and I think I remember reading this just not too long ago, obviously in a different context. But for the setting this morning, I want to read that, Exodus chapter 3, uh, verses, just a couple of verses, 11 through 14. This is the account when God appeared to Moses and spoke to him about leading Israel from slavery. And he was to be the leader 
of God's people and lead them to the promised land. Um, God, in his conversation with Moses, tells him that he has noticed what's going on. It says in verse 7, he says, I have seen the affliction of my people. I have heard their cry and I know their sorrows. So he goes on to instruct Moses and choose him as his leader for this job. A big job, a tall order, no doubt. Um, I can relate to Moses feeling inadequate. And on top of that, <clears throat> Moses is to go tell the people, look, God told me this. Well, he foresees their question right away. Verse 11, let's begin reading verse 11, Exodus chapter 3. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go into Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast, when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I am come unto the children of Israel... And they say, and, and say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. I don't know if I've quite gotten to the depth of that meaning of I am. But um, I maybe in, 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 in a small way. Um, and I'd like to look at uh, the essence of God in light of that. God is an existence or a being. And we're not sure what that is. But whatever he is, we call it his essence. And that essence never changes. You know, God can't be placed in a, in, a, in a proper category or identified with or compared with anything. Scripture tells us that. Isaiah talks about that. He's not a being that can be placed in a human-sized box as we like to do. John 4, 24 says, God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You think of God being a spirit, he was a cloud in while leading Israel to the promised land. And in this case here, Exodus 3, he was in a burning bush when he came to Moses on the backside of the desert. On Mount Sinai, he was in a billow of smoke and fire and that type of display. God's essence will not change and when you think of this great I am, it has, it has to do with uh, ongoing, forever, always have been, always will, having existed in the past and will continue. And Israel knew what this meant. And God was very wise when he said, tell them I am hath sent you. <clears throat> God's essence will not change. I'd also like to look at the uh, 
his attributes. And I know that those are, we, we, we know what those are, but I'm going to just look at a few and maybe look a little more in depth. Um, when you think of his attributes, they will never change. In, in our ever-changing world and all around us, especially technology, for instance, ever-changing, constantly changing, there is just a constant update on your phone. There's a constant update on this software and that software. Some of you work with computerized equipment. There's always updates that you need to do or it won't work. God isn't like that. He will not change. One thing that I especially like is his, he's omnipotent, unlimited power and authority. And I was especially blessed with our Sunday school lesson. Well, but it would have been last Sunday, the last version of, of the previous chapter where the people were really impressed with, with Jesus' teaching because he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. This authority was, is, is, is his attribute. That's what he is. That's who he is. He has unlimited power and authority. And also, he's all-knowing. Turn, turn with me to Job 38. And I'm going to just read a few verses here. Job 38 is the account of God speaking with Job. Job had listened to his three friends for some time, and they went on and on. And they were doing their best to convince them that, that it's your fault. You sinned, and that's why you're in this, in this state. And Job wasn't convinced and was trying to convince himself and, and vindicate himself. And then God speaks to Job directly. And Job 38, verses 4 through 6, God asks Job some really hard questions. Now, Job was a wise man. His scripture tells us that. He was a, a, an upright, he was a just man, and he feared God with his whole heart. But in spite of that, God poses him with some very, very, very serious and, well, impossible to answer questions. Job 38, verse 4. Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest. Or who has stretched out the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? And on and on. That's just a couple of verses. Job didn't have an answer. Where does the foundation of the earth lay? Who stretched out the line to establish its foundation, the cornerstone. Who laid the cornerstone? These are things that, that we can relate to as builders because when a building is started, you start at the corner and somehow you go from there, depending on what type of construction you do. God is asking Job, where were you when I laid the cornerstone of the earth? His attributes will never change. He's, he has unlimited power and authority like Jesus did on the Sermon on the Mount compared to the scribes. He's also all-knowing. Many of his other attributes, he's eternal, he's holy, he's filled with goodness, mercy, justice, love, hatred. Hatred? God hates evil as strongly as he loves the good. God is also a God of judgment. 
not only love and mercy, but also judgment. God is immutable, which is what we're talking about here. He is unchanging. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere present. Turn with me to Romans 11. I'm going to be turning to a few references here. If you care to follow along, please do. There's a lot of verses throughout Scripture that point to these verses, and I want to, I want to uh, point them and read them out as I get to Romans 11. Speaking of the uh, God being everywhere, present, all-knowing. Verse 33 of Romans 11. All oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recommended unto him again. For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. His attributes will never change. God is the, the great I am, I change not, as he said. Another thing I want to look at, his plans will not change. His plans do not change. His plan to create the world. In Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. And certainly, I don't think that's a problem with us, but we really need to, to, to understand, grasp that truth to be able to, to, to continue any further in our Christian life. God did create the heaven and the earth in the beginning, and I'm not going to go into that. I think we, we uh, certainly understand and know that. Um, another one, his plan to save us. That did not change and has not and will not. In fact, <clears throat> that goes way back to Genesis, and I won't turn to that, but I do want to talk to or look at Exodus, the uh, 12th chapter, when we think of the, um, and this is the account of the Passover being instituted. Exodus 12 is, is an account when, as uh, they were uh, about to exit Egypt as slaves. And God had worked all these events up to this time frame in, in, in perfect sequence. God had uh, worked in Pharaoh's heart, uh, hardened it, and of course, um, this all worked out for the good if you follow the end of this, this story here. But in preparation for leaving, he has this one last plague that he's bringing upon Egypt, and that is to, to kill their firstborn. Now, that was quite a blow. In, in their culture, your firstborn was really special. He got a double portion of the inheritance, uh, and I don't know what all the benefits, but it was a big deal to lose your firstborn. And uh, God, God's judgment on Egypt, including killing their firstborn, not just the, 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 sons, the, the, the sons, but cattle and livestock as well. And I'm not sure how significant that was, except God chose to do so. Well, anyways, here we have this, this God preparing this, this uh, event, and in order for them to be safeguarded against this, they had some very specific, they were given some very specific instructions. Exodus 12, verses 5 through 7 
and it had to do with the land that they were to take. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the house wherein they shall eat it. And then it goes on some more instructions as to, you know, how they are to eat this meal and even what they're supposed to wear and so forth and so on. But then verses 12 through 13. Uh, verse 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both men and beasts, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Now, <clears throat> Egypt, or the, the Egyptian people, did not know about this. They, didn't, they weren't given this instruction. Nevertheless, God in his sovereignty declared this to Israel, and this is how they were to be saved. Now, they were to take this lamb, who by then would have been a pet. It was just a cute little one-year-old lamb, or a goat, and uh, they were supposed to separate. Mina taken it kind of in their house or their yard, wherever they had it, and for two weeks, this would sort of become a pet. Can you imagine that? And then, they were supposed to kill it in the evening, and, and, and then there's some instructions as how they were to cook it and eat it, and then paint this door, side posts, and across a header of the door with this blood, and the death angel would pass over them. A beautiful example of this lamb being their substitute. They were, <clears throat> and I'm sure that if any of the Israelites would have tested God and decided not to, I'm sure they would have suffered the same consequence. We don't have record of that because I think they knew that God was serious here. But I'm sure that if they would have, they would have suffered the same consequence that the Egyptians did. That's his plan to save us as well. Fast forward a couple thousand years to the New Testament when Jesus, the perfect lamb, once and for all gave his life and in that sense, we can apply his blood to our lives, that being my substitute for my sins. <clears throat> his plan to save us has not changed and will not change. His plan to have us live with him someday. John 14, 1 to 4. I'm going to turn to that. John 14 is the account of Jesus when he was nearing the end of his ministry here, and his disciples were sensing that something's going on, something's up, some change has taken place. They seem to be a little bit troubled because Jesus um, was calming their spirits. John 14, verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. Jesus was interested, <coughs> or God is interested in having a relationship with us. He is a relational being, 
and wants a relationship with his people. Promise that he's going ahead, as Jesus said, going ahead and preparing a place for his people after which someday they will come and join him and be with him. His plan is to have us live with him someday. And then, meanwhile, I like this in the best, his plan for daily grace in each of our lives. 2 Corinthians 12, we have the account of Paul. I think I'll turn to that. Paul, most of you know, is sort of my hero. Um, He had a lot of energy, a lot of drive, a lot of ambition. And you can see that before Christ in his life and even after, that same drive and ambition was focused toward the kingdom of God and the calling on his life. But in spite of that, he had some kind of a handicap. It looks like a physical handicap of some sort. And there are some theories as to what it might have been. We're not, I'm not quite sure I'm going to say right now. But he had some kind of a limitation. And it says that he prayed three times to have this removed. And God decided against that. In fact, instead, he said, he said uh, God told him, My grace is sufficient for, for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now, um, we would think that, but God, he could serve you much more effectively if you would remove this, couldn't he? That's our human way of thinking. Many times God works in ways we don't understand. In fact, if you look at the beginning of this chapter, chapter 12 here, Paul had some other visions, as he calls it, that were, I don't know, indescribable. I guess you would say. And you'll even see him describing this in a third person, almost like he doesn't even want to identify himself with these visions. But he heard some things, says he was caught up in, par- in, in paradise and heard unspeakable words which he couldn't speak. And um, so um, maybe that was why, I don't know. God somehow chose to allow Paul to live with this handicap or this affliction and in some way receive glory and honor for that. But his plan for daily grace in each of our lives, there's, I'm sure we all have something that we could, that we could point to that I wish God would remove this weakness from me, this handicap, this ailment, whatever it is. But God's Grace is there for our lives. As this 100-year-old man testified, that didn't change. And it will not change. And I'm grateful for that. His plan for daily grace in each of our lives. Another one to look at, some of his promises that will not fail. God has certainly... We know there's thousands of promises in Scripture. His promises will not fail. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. And if you sometimes wonder if these promises are never going to happen, let's look at the, in Abraham's life. God had made him a promise here in Genesis 12. 
that uh, he would bless him and make his name great. Let's read Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3, just to get a setting. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from the kindred from thy father's house, into a land that I will show thee. <clears throat> I will make of thee a great nation, I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now, I don't know exactly what Abraham had in mind or what he interpreted this promise to include or to mean. We don't know. But this took thousands of years to fulfill. Certainly, Abraham saw some of it in his life. But <clears throat> looking ahead a couple thousand years to the birth of Jesus, coming through Abraham's lineage, through his family, way back through his line. You know, this was a promise that God made to Abraham and his descendants. And of course, from him came Isaac and Ishmael, and from Isaac came Jacob and Esau, and then from Jacob the twelve tribes of Israel. And through Abraham, all the earth is blessed. Now I'll turn with you back to Luke 2, and you'll recognize this as being the account when the birth of Jesus was announced, but this is the, the latter half of that chapter when we have uh, Mary and Joseph bringing Jesus to the temple to have him dedicated, as was the custom of the law. We have an elderly gentleman here by the name of Simeon, verse 25, it doesn't give us his age, but he was one of those old, faithful uh, believers who had been waiting for this very day. <clears throat> he had been looking for this promised Redeemer. And here he is. He lived long enough to actually hold him in his hands. Um, verse 25. I'm going to read right, right there, Luke 2, 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was re revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms, and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. He had, God had allowed him to live long enough to see this. And to experience this, to actually hold the promised Redeemer in his own hands. What, what, a, what a blessing that would have been for him. <clears throat> and then a couple of verses down, we also have this elderly widow lady who was also in the same shoes, looking for the redemption of Israel. And she also saw that as well. You know, um, we see the fulfillment of that promise from Abraham, in Genesis 12, a couple thousand years later, here we have 
Simeon and Anna seeing that. Well, what a blessing when you think of God's promises. And in, in many ways, uh, many people certainly would have experienced that and seen that. And that's just one, one of the promises. There are thousands. There are many promises that we have in Scripture that uh, many have been fulfilled like this one. Many have not yet been. Take heart. His promises will not fail. 2 Corinthians 1.20 For all the promises of God in him are yea and in him amen unto the glory of God by us. Romans 11.29 For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. God certainly is faithful. <clears throat> and if you live to be a hundred, hopefully you will also see this, as this elder gentleman did. God's grace will not fail and has not changed. Let's kneel as we pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, that you have blessed us in so many ways. Thank you, Lord, for these many promises that you have given in your word. Many examples of those that were already fulfilled. And thank you too, Father, for the many that have not yet been fulfilled. Lord, we realize that your track record is 100%. Nothing has ever failed you. So we we, we trust that this will continue and want to accept by faith that this will happen. We pray your continued blessing on us as we go from here. Thank you that your attributes have not changed and will not. Your plans are the same. And so we pray that you would be with us as we continue to live our lives, that we would take courage and uh, uh, be blessed and be uh, strengthened by these promises. May you go with us from here, especially as we go about our week, that this would be uh, a blessing and encouragement to, to all of us, realizing that Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you, in whose name we pray. Amen.